Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and our alumni have an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, and welcome to All in a Day's Work. My name is Darson Hover, and today I'm speaking with James Clements, the co-artistic director of the investigative theater company, What Will the Neighbors Say? James, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I have had a kind of long journey with NYU, so I came here for undergrad. I grew up in Scotland between Glasgow and London, but mainly in Scotland, and then went to NYU for university and then stayed on splitting my time between New York and the UK and came back to NYU as an affiliated instructor at Tisch School of the Arts, which is where I, I studied, and then now do some lecturing and work with Wasserman and Production Lab and other places. So on and off, but but pretty connected for the past 15 years. Let's just maybe start um, back at the beginning. I would love to, to hear the story of how you got interested in theatre, when that came up for you. Most theatre people, I feel like, had this experience too, of really since they were a kid, forcing their family to watch their plays and watch them perform. And we came to New York July 2000 July 2001, I was maybe nine years old, and I was like, that's it, I'm going to live here, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> My parents were like very, very nice about it, I'm sure, but, but were like, okay, yeah, of course, you can do whatever you want with your life. And I just kind of diligently had that in the back of my mind, a kind of secret agenda. In my teenage years, I was like, no, I'm definitely going to do it. Um, so initially when I came to NYU, I didn't study drama. I kind of did a general liberal arts course because when I was 17, I just felt like I've always done this same thing. This has always kind of been my identity. And then I got about two weeks in and I was like, no, never mind. I'm going to audition for Tish. And I transferred into Tish sophomore year. And I was very fortunate. I had wonderful advisors at uh, NYU, who helped me kind of finesse a, a way I was able to double major in history and theatre, which is the exact combination of things I now do in my work kind of every day. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you see your history education intersecting with theatre, um, how that looked when you were in school, and, and I mean, this is maybe skipping ahead a little bit, but but how that is kind of playing into your work now. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think, you know, I studied at the Experimental Theatre Wing, which is the the original kind of internal studio at Tisch. Most of the acting programs, you go out to Stella Adler, you go out to somewhere else. And the Experimental Theatre Wing, ETW, is right in the thick of it. So I was being taught by incredible professors that really were the originators of the kind of experimental modern performance in New York what I loved about their work is it was very physical and very impulsive and very uh, exciting, but it had a lot of thought behind it and a lot of intention. And I just saw that there was a space for me to uh, explore the political and historical and social concerns that I have as an artist and as a citizen. And the way I could do it, my kind of toolkit for doing it would be through these experimental theatre forms that are disruptive and are surprising and sometimes unsettling, and that those two things could 
could coexist. And so now in my solo career and my work with my company, uh, what will the neighbours say? We make experimental documentary theatres, so things that are um, archival research-based, things that are interview-based. You know, we've travelled the world as a group doing, you know, on-the-ground research into to stories ranging from... Uh, Nazi film directors to the colonial condition in Puerto Rico to the daughters of the last czar after the revolution in their captivity, a kind of Chekhovian drama. So we've got to do this incredible range of stuff that I think, I hope, has an impact on people both in terms of involving communities in the creative process and then also presenting work to them that is challenging and provocative and and makes hopefully makes people think, but also doesn't make people feel like they're watching a PBS documentary. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you see art and, and theater specifically um, as a way to kind of make these bigger historical questions maybe more accessible, mm-hmm. more entertaining. Like what yeah. role do you see your work playing in the kind of broader political education context? No, totally. It's a great question. Um, you know, I think it's it's the idea that narrative, I, I think the power of narrative as an, as a storyteller, someone who's an actor, a writer and a director, the kind of, um, the super artist superpower is narrative makes meaning out of facts. So you have information or you have data or you have research and, you know, brilliant academics can, can put it into papers that other very, people that are intelligent in that way can can engage with it but i think the idea of you know when when i i've done archival research all over the world and it's not a welcoming space always it's not always if you're if you're not a traditional academic learner if you're not um if you've not been in educational context that give you the 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 toolkit to know how to ask and who to ask and i feel like that extends all the way kind of to answer the question more directly all the way through the theatre pipeline quite often. I wonder if our spaces are welcoming enough economically, accessibility-wise, in terms of, yeah, just language, in terms of quote-unquote theatre etiquette, like all of those things, I think theatre could could and should be doing a better job at doing. So when I was starting my career, I thought that at least for myself and for my work, in order for it to work, it needs to be accessible and it needs to be collective. And and I do think sitting in space with people and experiencing something that's happening live that creates this kind of ecosystem in the space that everyone's contributing to that will never be the same thing again. I think that that is the way in which theatre specifically can charge social change and can provoke these questions and conversations. I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about the like the concrete steps that you take to make the experience of these these shows or these theater experiences for the audience f- to feel different. Like what what are the specific things that you've noticed that really work to shift that that energy? There's there's a few things. So the so we started what will the neighbors say 7 years ago actually with classmates from NYU. So we're at NYU college college company that kind of stuck it out. Um Accessibility is such, it feels like such a vague word, but for lack of a better word, making them accessible, making them comfortable for everyone. 
There's the kind of very practical things, which is only work in ADA compliant spaces, only work in um, spaces that people with different physicalities could could navigate. Um, all of our programming, I think our average ticket price over these seven years has been maybe seven or eight dollars. Everything, all of our community work is completely free. Uh, all of our education work is, public education work is completely free at the point of access, um, including our work with young young people. So there's those two things, I think, literal space barriers and economic barriers to lower as much as possible. Yeah, and our, in my solo work, a project I've, I've got a Brick Lab residency for next month with a creative partner also from NYU, John Maria Gutierrez. It's called Brothers in Arms, and it's a, a documentary devised piece exploring masculinity and shifting masculinity and, and kind of unpacking that. And so we had, um, before the show, we had worksheets and we had all the audience interview one another and interview strangers and talk about masculinity, regardless of their gender identity and presentation, about relationship to masculinity. And then at a talk back at the end, and then the next show we flipped it. So it's an ongoing kind of, of process, but I think it's just, it all just comes down to like radical transparency, saying to the audience, in either directly or through messaging or through um, marketing or whatever, you are welcome. You are part of this dialogue. This is what we're exploring. A, a couple, an older couple came, um, and I don't really think they knew what it was going to be. I think they were like members of Culture Lab, and they got the email saying you've got your members tickets. And there, there was a part of the show that was sort of about. Um, kind of physical, not necessarily sexual intimacy between the characters, but just being in space physically and navigating, you know, how do male identifying or male bodies speak and navigate space that's physically vulnerable. And this older guy was like, yeah, it's so funny, you know, everybody, everybody knows everybody feels these things or does these things and no one talks about it. Like no one, like, you know, me and my friends have never talked about this, but everyone knows it's happening and that it just kind of like blew his blew his mind in a way that was very I, I'm I'm not being patronizing, but it was very sweet. I was like, yeah, exactly. Like you have spent seventy years wondering if you're the only person who thinks this. And then his wife had a really interesting response about clothes and the way that she dresses. And she was like, it's funny, you know. I think I'm in many ways more masculine than than him. And he was like, yeah, I've never really thought about it that way, but I think that might be true. And they were having this whole marital dialogue in front of the audience. And they must have been, my guess is married for 40 years. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool that like you folks will go home tonight, continuing to reframe your relationship to masculinity in your 60s and 70s. That feels like, okay, you know, it, it's really, it's like lifelong, lifelong capacity for change and for revelation and for empathy. And that, yeah, that was a cool one. I love that story so much. Yeah, I mean, it's such a wonderful way to show rather than tell. I'm very interested in in the way that art intersects with political kind of movements and and sort of like current political hot button issues, I guess, for lack yeah, of a better yeah, yeah. word. And I'm, yeah, I'm curious if that's something that you're specifically focused on. What I feel very privileged about being an artist is... I think you can you can choose again kind of bring it back to narrative you can choose a framing and so for brothers in arms for example the things that we start we worked on over zoom and it began about isolation 
because we were all isolated because of COVID, but it wasn't really a piece about, we don't want to make a piece directly about COVID. And then everything that was happening with the election and then everything that happened on January 6th, it became more and more about isolation specifically in um, male spaces or mask spaces. Like So it, it kind of happens naturally. I think it's always in in the the work I make, but trying maybe to have it be, again, to show not tell. So rather than being like, we're going to talk directly about the fact that so much military and political violence vastly is perpetrated by men, you can just set it in a war zone and show the damage that these men have done to themselves and to each other. And, and so I think kind of indirectly, but always wanting to be very very current and similarly I do where I'm an artist in residence also with the Brooklyn Arts Council their SUCASA program so you go into senior centres and create art with seniors so I'm working with a great group of seniors now in Bed-Stuy on a documentary theatre piece about their their lives and the current working title we have is Looking Forward Looking Back Um, and they talked about yeah the fact that you know when when Bed-Stuy when they were growing up they said you know there was there was a strong Jewish community, there was a white community, there was a black community, there was Hispanic, Polish, and everyone used to, like, have block parties together and check in on each other's kids. Like, they're, the, the issue that seems to be for them with the gentrification that's happening now, as they put it, is the white people that are coming to Brooklyn don't want to integrate, they want to change the neighbourhood. So that, feel, like, it feels current and political and important, and I was like, yeah, great, like, let's go further into this so that now is becoming a piece kind of about the housing crisis in New York, but not direct, you know what I'm saying? But not actually about a story that's about a family getting evicted isn't the only way to explore that. I'd love to hear a little bit about um, any other like upcoming projects that you're excited about particularly. Um, are there any other projects that you or your company are, are doing that feel particularly inspiring right now. We received our first kind of big funding from uh, the Cultural Development Fund, DCLA. So it's a three-year funding commitment from the city um, for public programming. So we're bringing back um, a free community event we've done since 2017, Storytime. It's at the Cell Theatre in Chelsea. Those are all free, free food, free drinks. We've got great performers, musicians like Ellery Ward and Catherine Allison great hosts and each of them is preceded the day before by a Zoom writing workshop. You've talked about how impactful performance is for audience members and for people kind of witnessing these more narrative presentations of of issues that are relevant to all of us. But I wonder if also you could talk a little bit about what it was like to watch students engage from the creative side or even for yourself, you know, how how making creative work um, helps you process these big kind of complicated issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, for me, I feel so grateful to be an artist and so lucky to do, I don't know how I would make sense of the world without my, my work. I think everything, the things that really keep me up at night, either personal things or worldwide things, I get to make creative work about them and that's a huge privilege I think seeing you know whether it's students whether it's seniors whether it's community members that are sharing creative writing for the first time ever I think it is a combination of 
seeing people feel seen and feel supported. Like, that like makes me want to cry sometimes. Like, seriously, I know it sounds so cheesy, but there was students in the show that wrote about their lives and the difficulties and challenges in their lives, and they wrote about them with such humour and, and grace and just excellent writing. And then we got to work with them to shape it into a character, and they got to present that to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that came to the show in Queens, their family, their friends. And I think they, they as they communicated it to us, they literally felt very seen. I think it's the same with the seniors. It, it's... it's uh, a way of uplifting narratives that exist. And it's just it's just saying to people that you deserve to take this space and you have the right to be at this table and be part of this conversation. That could make me cry too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I guess let's switch gears a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I know you have spent some time freelancing right that's something that I think a lot of of people especially creative um people who are who are students and just starting out are going to have to be navigating and it's pretty daunting any any like little pieces of advice or or things that you've learned along the way that you think would be valuable one is I think as a freelancer this is still something that I navigate all the time which is you'll do a day's work that will pay a month's rent and you might do a six-week project that you get a stipend for like it's it's um especially at the beginning of your career it can be pretty erratic and so um what I what I would encourage is if you're offered a, a job or an internship or um uh, a contract or whatever looking at it similar to a New York City apartment so you've got location price and size of apartment ideally you get all three right you get a great apartment in a great neighborhood that's really cheap but that's probably not going to happen but it can't just be one it needs to be at least two so you know a tiny apartment but it's cheap in a great place or not the neighborhood you wanted but it's huge and affordable same with the same with the job it needs to be advancing your career making you money or fulfilling you artistically ideally all three but never less than two i feel like if it's only doing one i don't think it's it's sustainable. Look for three, but don't go below two of those three. Um, and then I think in terms of networking, something um, I kind of I feel like it sometimes has a kind of dirty word reputation, but it really isn't. It's so important to know what's going on in your your field. It's it's kind of like professional literacy, understanding what what the what's out there to then understand where you where you and your work exists on the on that spectrum. And so I think getting really strong relationships with mentors has been essential for me. Um, and then I think, you know, it's easier said than done, but really being clear on why you want to make, make work, I guess, if you're a creative, but just for whatever you're doing, why you want to do it, what you're... What core questions are you interrogating? What What's your need and desire to do it? Because that becomes a kind of true north that helps you make decisions all the time in your career. Wor working out why, why you're doing what you're doing and then being able to communicate that clearly to other people, that is what unlocks 
grant funding and fellowships, being able to articulate that to someone else is its own whole skill set. It keeps you on track and reminds you of what you're doing and it also allows you to speak to other people about about it. You know, surround yourself with people that you trust and love and challenge you and you admire and really, really work out what it is you're doing specifically, why you're doing it specifically and what is your unique perspective? I know you you spend a lot of time at the Wasserman Center. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there's anything that sort of sticks out to you that's particularly valuable that they offer that you think students should be aware of. Any resources, classes, um, yeah, just what should what should students be be looking out for? for? Well, definitely check out the production lab. Um, they have really really great great stuff all the time um, for students and I believe alumni can attend. And then Wasserman, you can come and do interview prep sessions here. You can come and do resume clinics. Even if you've been graduated for 10 years, someone will look at your resume for free in New York. You know, so it's not it's not a, a, a common thing to find. So I think I would encourage students to come to Wasserman and see how the wonderful folks here and the, the the institution can serve them and their goals. And and again, it's just making the most of your time here and building as much of an infrastructure as you can for when you're out in the world. So like, yeah, have your resumes ready to go, have your website ready to go. I would not also have rolled my eyes at this as a student, so I'm sure people are rolling their eyes listening to this, but you think you're really busy as a student, but you do have more time than you're gonna have. So if you can just get a draft of your website and a draft of your resume together before before you graduate, I think you're setting yourself in great stead and coming to places like Wasserman Production Lab, the individual NYU school career offices, these, these folks are really advo- student advocates. Yeah, that's great advice. James, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and share your experience with the NYU community. This has been Darson Hover with another episode of All in a Day's Work. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the NYU Wasserman Center, you can log into our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Darson Hover with episode guest James Clements. We're produced by Sarah Rosenthal and Sean Merchant, edited by Sean Merchant and Ben Barzilai, and created with the support of the NYU Wasserman Fellows. That's All in a Day's Work. Thanks for listening.